Let's come to God and ask for his help as we look at his word closely together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send the Holy Spirit to us now to help us study your word so that we would speak to ourselves and others about how to live for you and your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name now. Amen. Well, this morning we finish our time in the book of 1 Samuel by looking at 1 Samuel chapter 31. We've been going through this book uh, for some time now, even this year, but on and off over the years here at Des Moines Baptist. I don't think this will be the end of our time with David. Uh, we will carry on into 2 Samuel. I think it's just a bit too abrupt an ending uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 31. We want to know what happens next, and so we'll probably continue a few more chapters into 2 Samuel uh, before we move to another part of Scripture uh, in the preaching series that I do. Uh, but this morning we are looking at the end of the life of Saul. Who is King Saul, if you're just joining us this morning? Well, Saul is the first king of Israel. Uh, he comes from a long line of people. Uh, if you go right back to the beginning of the, the, the Bible, of course, you have Adam and Eve who are created. From them, you get Abraham. From Abraham, you get the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, from, and then the 12 tribes of Israel, they end up in the land of Egypt. Uh, in Egypt, they are brought out by the hand of Moses. Uh, Moses leads them up to the promised land. Joshua then takes them into the promised land. And while they're there, they have a series of judges looking after them. And eventually you get Samuel. He's the last of the judges. He anoints Saul, this Benjamite. So he's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He is anointed king over Israel. We've been following his progress as king. Uh, he turns out to be someone who is far more interested in his own self than in God and God's ways. And so then we've seen that David has been anointed the second king of Israel. David and Saul have not been getting along. We've been tracking their progress with one another. And last week we looked at David and what he was up to. He was off defeating the Amalekites. He was not part of this war that is going on. Uh, but now we have this battle that is uh, spoken of here. It's been building for some time as we've been looking at these chapters together where the Philistines, uh, a neighbouring nation uh, to Israel, have been starting to make war upon the Israelites. And so Saul has led his army out to fight against the Philistines. And what happens? Well, we read in this chapter that Saul loses the battle and commits suicide. At first, he seeks to get his armour-bearer to put him to death, but in the end, because the armour-bearer will not strike him down, he falls on his own sword. And we read that in verses 1 through to verse 4 and 5. Uh, I'll read now. It says in verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Geboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. So he has been wounded. He is still alive, but nonetheless he is dying and then in verse 4 we read Saul said to his armor bearer draw your sword and run me through or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me but his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it so Saul took his own sword and fell on it and so this morning we're going to look at the death of Saul and particularly the fact that he committed suicide and what that means for him and what it means for us is what Saul did here this morning, as we look at it, is it sinful? Or is it courageous? Is it courageous of this man to take his own life, to fall on his sword? I think as we look at the scriptures and 
examine what it teaches us about God's holy law, we have to understand that this is a sinful act by King Saul. Why? Well, what is the sixth commandment? What is the sixth commandment? It is, you shall not murder. Now, we often think of that as being, we should not murder others. But it also includes taking our own life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, a very reliable and well-known catechism, explains, the sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbour unjustly. That's what the sixth commandment forbids. It forbids committing suicide. So why would Saul, someone who knows of the law of God, he is an Israelite after all, why would he consider falling on his sword and breaking God's commandment? Well, the text tells us why. He wanted to avoid Philistines abusing him. We read in verse 4, Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. What is he afraid of? Well, he's afraid of the mental and physical suffering that will come from these Philistines as they come and capture him. That's another way we can translate this word abuse. Well, other translations have mistreat, that's the ESV, uh, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, uh, when you translate it over into English, has the word mock, so this idea of being mocked, if the Philistines catch him, they will mock him, they will mistreat him. Uh, the Holman has torture, so this word has the idea of being tortured, and the New American Standard has make sport of. Uh, so you can see each translation has tried to grapple with this word, and they've actually come up with different translations. The NIV having abuse, then there's mistreat, mock, torture, make sport of. So it's not just a physical uh, pain that he's fearful that the Israelites, uh, the Philistines will come and inflict upon him. It's also the mental pain that he will have as he's being mocked and made sport of. Now, is he being unrealistic? Is Saul having fears that are unfounded? Well, no, he's not being unrealistic. Of course, we look at the Philistines and we look at them in the book of Judges. They're an old enemy of the Israelites. And what did they do to Samson when they caught Samson? They put out his eyes and then they put him to work on a grinding and then at times they would bring him out to their, in their festivals and make fun of him. They would bring him out for, to entertain us, is what the scriptures said. He's like a circus animal, Samson was. Look, this was our, our great enemy. Look at him now. We can make fun of him because we put out his eyes and he is powerless against us. And in the book of Judges, we also look at the way the Canaanite king speaks about his enemies. Adonai Bezek in Judges chapter 1 verse 7 says, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. The Canaanite king, when he, and when he caught another king... He would cut off his thumbs and his toes, so of course he's not able to do many functional tasks, and particularly he's not able to go to war again, and he would make them live on the scraps from his table. That's a making sport of, that's a mockery of those kings. And what did the Philistines do to Saul's body when they eventually caught it? Well, we read in the text that is before us, in verse 8, the next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armour. They sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armour in the temple of the Asterisks and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. They made a mockery of this dead body. They made a mockery of Saul. And so Saul doesn't want, that, doesn't want to witness any of that. And so he commits suicide. 
And is an abuse of the body then the same reason our culture accepts as a good reason for suicide? Why would I say that? Well, just earlier this year, in New South Wales, here in Australia, the government approved the process of granting doctors the right to put people to death under certain circumstances. And it's not unusual. New South Wales are just following laws in other states here in Australia. They're not the first. And of course, in Western nations. What's the New South Wales law? Well, it says that uh, on their website that voluntary assisted dying means an eligible person can ask for medical help to end their life. The person must be in the late stages of an advanced disease, illness or medical condition. They must also be experiencing pain and suffering they find unbearable. If a person meets all the criteria, they can take or be given a voluntary assisted dying substance to bring about their death at a time they choose. What are the reasons the government of New South Wales accepts to ask an armour bearer to kill you? A doctor? A doctor's meant to be there to protect you, like an armour bearer was for King Saul. He was meant to be there protecting the king. What is a doctor supposed to do? He's meant to be protecting you, looking after you, making sure you prosper. What's the grounds that you can ask an armour bearer to kill you or give you something so you can kill yourself? Well, it's that you're in the late stages of advanced disease. And secondly, that you're experiencing pain and suffering you find to be unbearable. So would Saul have qualified for euthanasia in New South Wales? Yes, he would have. Was he in the advanced stages of disease? Yes, he was wounded by arrows. We read that in verse 3. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. He was writhing, dancing with the pain that came from those arrows. And secondly, was he experiencing pain and suffering that he found unbearable? Yes, he was concerned about the abuse that would be done to his body, physically, and then the mental anguish that he would experience as he watched people mocking him. But does God permit suicide for suffering? No, there's no subclause to the sixth commandment. There's no subclause to the sixth commandment. And it was even worse in one sense for Saul to murder himself. Why? He was laying a hand on the Lord's anointed. He was anointed by God to be king over Israel. And we see David again and again. He refrained from laying a hand on the Lord's anointed. The armor bearer may have even been conscious of that. That's why he didn't want to kill him. That this is the anointed of the Lord. How can I take up a sword and strike him down? But Saul was not afraid to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. And so he sinned and sinned greatly. But why would Saul think that self-murder for pain and suffering was permitted? Why would he go through with this? Well, the root cause is unbelief, isn't it? The root cause is unbelief. Saul didn't wake up one day and think, I'm going to commit suicide. He had a history of unbelief. Unbelief about what? Unbelief that God, the Lord, is God and King. How's unbelief in God as King produce suicide? Well, if we believe that God is king and his laws are good, that they are the best laws, then we will keep his law, including no suicide. If we believe that God is king, we will not commit suicide because we believe that his laws must be obeyed and that they are the best laws. But if we do not believe that God is supreme, what will we think? Well, we'll think that suicide is an option that is available to us. 
And that's what Saul was doing. He had unbelief in God as king, and so he thought that suicide was an option for him. What did Saul believe instead? What did he believe in place of the fact that God is king? Well, he believed that Saul was king above God, that Saul was king. How do we know? Well, we see again and again his disobedience to God. We've looked at it as we've gone through the book of 1 Samuel together. We've seen again and again that he disobeyed God, that he thought he was king and he called the shots. He could make a sacrifice when he wanted to make a sacrifice. He could let some Amalekites live and some of their possessions be spared from destruction if he thought that it was appropriate. Doesn't matter what God has said, if I want some Amalekites to live, they shall live. If I want to make a sacrifice, I will make a sacrifice. I am king. And if I am jealous of somebody else that might take my throne, I can try and put him to death. That's what he's doing with David. He's jealous of David. He's fearful of David taking his throne. And he is the king. And so I have every right to put this guy to death, to hurl my spear at him. And so why did Saul commit suicide? It was his final decision as king. He wanted to avoid seeing the Philistines dethrone him, take away his throne, that he was the king of Israel. If Saul had truly, truly believed that God was king, Saul would never have committed suicide. But what else led Saul to suicide? It was unbelief that he was a sinful servant. Unbelief that he was a servant, but also unbelief that he was a sinful servant. Why? Well, why does anyone experience illness? Why does anyone experience pain and suffering? It's the effects of sin. Our sin equals what? Abuse and torture of our bodies and souls now and for eternity in hell. That is what our sin leads to. Pain and suffering is a natural consequence of our sin. Don't we all deserve to have our big toes and our thumbs cut off and live on scraps under a king's table because of our sin? That's what we deserve. We deserve to be humiliated for the way that we have behaved. Why? Because our sin is so awful. It is rebellion against a good and holy and loving God. That's what our sin is. Don't we all deserve then to watch our bodies break down bit by bit in a nursing home and then go to hell? Isn't that what we deserve? If Saul had believed that he was a sinner, he would never have fallen on his sword. Why? He would have accepted the end stages of advanced disease, pain and suffering and abuse. Why? Because he would have known that even then he was not being treated as his sins deserve. That those arrows that had caused his body to writhe were not even as severe as what it should be for him because of his sins. He would have accepted that he actually deserved eternal punishment in hell. He deserved not just the fire, not just the frying pan, but the fire as well if he recognised that he was truly a sinner. And so if we are to avoid suicide, what are we to do? Well, we must believe rightly as well. What must we believe? Well, firstly, we must believe that God is king. We are not king of our lives. God is king, and we are his servants. And so we have no right to end our lives. 
because God is the one who tells us what to do. And what else must we believe? Well, we must believe that we are sinners. We are sinful servants and we deserve the frying pan and we deserve the fire. We deserve both. You say, oh, Joel, can't we escape sin and the pain of the frying pan and the eternal fire of hell? If suicide isn't possible here to end our suffering and there's no suicide in hell to put an end to our sufferings there, well, what hope is there, Joel? How can we keep on trusting in God, unlike Saul, and not take our own life? What hope is there? Well, the hope is Christ, and only Christ. Why? Christ came into the frying pan by his own free will and suffered the late stages of an advanced disease. How? By bearing the wounds inflicted upon him, the beatings that were given to him, the whipping beforehand, and then the crucifixion itself. And Christ also experienced what many would consider unbearable pain and suffering. He not only had a disease, wounds inflicted upon him that would end his life, but he also had torture to his body, the abuse of his body. Physical torture, yes, by crucifixion. The excruciating pain of dying by crucifixion is well documented. But it's not just that, it's the mental torture, it's the, the abuse of his body, the being made sport of, the mocking that takes place, which we read in Luke's Gospel, happened to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. How are the Pharisees, who are making fun of Jesus Christ, any different from Philistines making fun of Samson, or making fun of Saul's dead body? It's the same kind of thing, and it happened to Jesus Christ. And Christ not only came into the frying pan, but he also went into the fire. What am I speaking of? The hell fire. At the cross, what did Jesus experience? Yes, he experienced the physical pain. He experienced the mental anguish of having people make fun of him. But he also experienced the wrath of God. He experienced the frying pan, but also the fire. Now, why did Jesus experience such suffering? Why did he experience such suffering? Because he deserved such abuse? No, he never sinned. He was a servant, yes, but not a sinful servant. He never sinned. He never deserved the abuse of his body. Was it because Christ was caught unaware? If he had a chance to commit suicide, he would have taken it. No, he predicted again and again that this would happen to him, that the abuse of his body would come. He had opportunity to commit suicide. He knew it was coming. So why did Christ endure the sufferings of the frying pan and the fire, but not commit suicide? It's because he is not like King Saul. King Jesus is not like King Saul. He believed that God is king. And so he kept God's laws. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And what's God's will? Well, it includes not committing suicide. And so Jesus did not commit suicide. What else led Jesus to suffer and not commit suicide? Well, he believed his people were sinful. 
and would suffer eternally unless he died on their behalf. He believed that we are sinful creatures. We often don't believe it, but he believed it and knew that the only way that we could escape eternal suffering and pain was for him to take our sufferings upon himself. And he believed that if he committed suicide to escape the frying pan, he too would burn eternally. It would be a terrible sin for the Lord Jesus to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He was the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Christ. For him to lay a hand and kill himself and escape his sufferings would be a terrible sin. So what did Jesus do? He suffered the greatest physical and mental pain for the glory of God and his people. He suffered so that you too, by trusting in him, can escape both the frying pan and the fire. That's why he suffered. What a man. You want to see courage? Don't look at Saul. Who is Saul? A man of unbelief. A proud and arrogant man dying on his own terms. That's what Saul is. He's not courageous. He's a proud man who wants to escape what he deserves. Look at Christ if you want to see courage. Here is a man who suffered the greatest abuse of any body and any soul that has ever existed. A man who had all the reasons in the world to commit suicide, to fall on his sword. The New South Wales government... As a doctor assigned to Jesus, they would grant him approval right away. Look at his wounds, look at his suffering, prescribe something to him. He had all the reasons. If any man had a reason in the world to commit suicide, it was Christ Jesus. But praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost, he didn't. Jesus gave up his spirit only once it was finished. Once all the pain and suffering was dealt with for all his people, it is only then that he gave up his spirit and succumbed to the death that was imminent from his wounds. You want to see courage? Look at a man who loved God and his people so much he courageously endured the frying pan, and the fire. So do you struggle with suicidal thoughts? Because of pain and suffering that you see as unbearable? Maybe it stems from physical health, some sort of medical condition, advanced disease, illness. Maybe it's from mental health, including a fear of man, what people may do to you, how people may abuse you, how people may mock you, how people may make sport of you in the future. Do you struggle with suicidal thoughts? Do you then realise that you are not believing that God is the king? That God is the king and his laws are best as you should believe? Are you then and do you realise then that if you have suicidal thoughts, they're coming from an unbelief in your own state, 
that you are a sinful creature and deserve whatever physical or mental pain you know? Do you just wake up one day contemplating suicide? Does the adulterer wake up one day just committing adultery, thinking that it's appropriate? Does a society just wake up one day and think that it's acceptable to legalise euthanasia, to legalise suicide? No. Like Saul, there's always a habit of unbelief about God and about ourselves. There's a belief that I am king and I don't deserve pain. That is the root of suicidal thoughts and ultimately all sin. The adulterer, there's a long history of unbelief about God and himself, and he thinks that he deserves what he's getting. There's a pattern that is built to that point, and it's the same with suicide. Someone doesn't wake up one day and commit suicide. There's a long history of unbelief that goes before it. If you struggle with suicidal thoughts, see the habit of unbelief in your life and your pride about yourself and repent. Won't you see how foolish it is to believe what is not reality, that suicide isn't an escape from pain? What is it? It's leaving the frying pan for the fire. It's an exchange of a lot of pain for even worse pain in hell. Only by trusting in Christ's sufferings can we truly escape the frying pan and the fire. So let us all examine ourselves for unbelief about God and ourselves so that suicide's never an option for us. Satan may give you suicidal thoughts indeed, but may we be a people who never entertain them because we are ones who believe so strongly that God is king and any pain that's going on in our lives is not what we even deserve. So, of course... Suicidal thoughts, as they come in, they're pushed back immediately because we recognise God is king and he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And then let us all believe that Christ has saved us. So suicide is not needed to escape the frying pan or the fire. Let us rejoice by the Spirit's power that there is a man of sorrows. Christ Jesus himself, rejoicing that we will escape this body of sin one day, this body of suffering and death, and be given a new body that never experiences even early stages of disease, illness, or medical conditions. Rejoicing that one day we'll eat at the king's table rather than be under it, which is where we deserve to be. Rejoicing that we will escape both frying pan and fire one day. And so let us joyfully sing Bliss's hymn, Man of Sorrows, which we'll sing in a moment. Man of Sorrows, look in your bulletins there to that last hymn, first verse.
men of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Saviour. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Saviour. He was not ashamed to bear that shame and the scoffing rude that we deserve. He did it for us. He sealed our pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Saviour. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the good king whose laws are righteous and good. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not believing that you are king and not believing that we are sinners and so thinking that we don't deserve pain and suffering. Oh Lord, we thank you that Christ took the eternal pain and suffering for us who believe. And so we ask that you would help us not to have suicidal thoughts, but to rejoice in Christ Jesus when we suffer, knowing that we are never treated as our sins deserve. And after a little while, we will be in paradise, eating at the King's table. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.